Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons. As always, I'm Peter, and in today's episode, I had the amazing opportunity to chat with an author named Dreema Jowrick about her book, Entheophage. I really love this book. She'll tell you what it's about, but really briefly, there's a virus that spreads that's making kids change in a way that connects them to environmental catastrophes around the world, and it's really interesting and impactful, especially in today's time as we're struggling to deal with the climate crisis and move forward as a planet. So I really love this book. I'm so happy to share this book with you all. I'm so happy to share this conversation that I had with Dreema with you. She's such a kind and skilled author, and I can't wait for you, truly, to hear what she has to say. So without further ado, let's listen to the music and jump into our interview. Okay, so Dreema, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Dreema Jowrick. I am a writer of speculative fiction that asks big questions. I go by the pronouns she and her. You can also say, hey, you, and I'll probably answer to that. Um, I am a legal secretary and a nature lover and a cat mom and a spider savior. And I'm trying to grow a Virginia, I'm in Virginia, so I'm trying to grow a Virginia native garden so that we can help the native beneficial insects, you know, and birds and so on, butterflies. So yeah, that, that's basically my whole life right there. <laughs> and I'm married. <laughs> Happily. <laughs> that all sounds great. We love gardens here. So our next intro question, what is your favorite story? And we wanted to keep this broad, whatever medium you want it to be, book, movie, show, whatever. I didn't pick just one, so I picked two. Frank Herbert's Dune. Oh, that perfect. Will, that will always be my favorite. And it, of course, that isn't just one book, is it? And The Overstory by Richard Powers. If you I've have been... not... If I've been meaning to read it. it. It's definitely powerful. Those are wonderful answers. Our next intro, so our, our silly fun one, but how could we not? How would you train a dragon? Okay. I have so many questions. First of all, how big would it be? Does it breathe fire or is it connected to some other elemental um, energy? Would I have it in my care from the very day it comes into this world? What kind of special care would it require? All of those things come to mind. But I think most of all, the most important word on how I would train a dragon would be carefully and compassionately. I would want to make it a friend 
But if I couldn't do that, I'd at least strive for mutual respect. Because, you know, you want a dragon on your side, right? <laughs> that is perfect. I will call you when I find my dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then our last intro. So what does storytelling mean to you? Why, you know, why are you a writer? Storytelling goes way, way, way back in human history. And it was a way of sharing experiences and bonding with one another. And it still is. Now, as a writer and as a, a novelist whose novels, who my novels, my, my audience is sometimes people that I may never meet, it's still a bonding experience. Think of the eight, the writers that you know, that you really love their work and you really love their message or their stories. You feel connected to them, even though you've never met them. And that that's what I love about writing. That's why I write, because I like telling stories and I like sharing um, that bonding with even with people I will never meet. The more people read my story, the more joy it gives me. Yeah, that's incredible. Totally relate to the bonding with the author, even though I've never met most of them. Mm -hmm. um, but speaking of of books and your stories, so let's move on to your book. Um, so I read Entheophage. It was, I mean, spoiler alert, it was amazing. I really enjoyed it. So as we start this conversation, can you just please give us a brief synopsis of your story? Sure. There are three characters, three main characters. Isabel uh, is a pharmaceutical scientist whose young son has a genetic disorder that will kill him before he's before he reaches puberty. And she has found a, a a potential treatment, not a cure, but a treatment that will help him live a longer life. Unfortunately, it grows on the only the last pristine reef left on the face of the earth in the South Pacific. She begins to harvest it. In Austin, Texas, Lucas Bain's young eight-year-old daughter begins showing very unusual symptoms. And when he takes her trick-or-treating, she has a seizure and ends up in the hospital unconscious. And when she comes to she is in horrendous pain and nobody can find the source. Nadine Parker is the CDC specialist in charge of the investigation. And she uh, cannot figure out what is going on at first. And when she finally does, she knows that no one is going to believe her. She knows what it is, but she can't completely and um, without any doubt, prove it. So she has to find all this circumstantial evidence to prove it. And when she um, tries to bring it up and tell people about it, they they disbelieve her. And she faces a lot of uh, drama because of that. So these three stories, these three, three characters' tales intertwine uh, throughout the whole book, even though they don't really know one another. They do meet a couple of times, but only, you know, briefly. So the main catchphrase of the story is that when when Nadine finds out 
what is happening to the children that are affected by this virus. And they it goes around the world. It's only affecting children. When she finds out what's going on with it, she says to her team, maybe these children aren't sick. Maybe they're changing. And that's pretty much the crux of the story right there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That was really interesting when we got to that point. And I'm so curious, what was the inspiration for for this particular story? I don't remember exactly what what the exact thing is that sparked it, but it, it might have been something about seeing yet another animal being in- added to the endangered list or the um, threatened list uh, or some other bio sphere or ecosystem that was uh, threatened or being wiped out. Um, but I, I think about that stuff a lot. I'm a big time nature lover. And I wondered what it would take to make people realize just how deeply the actions that we do every day affect the world around us, not just other humans, but flora and fauna, all the rest of it. So the answer that came to me the day that I decided to write this story was to, I wanted to share that. What if, what if we could, what if something happened that made us unable to look away from this anymore? And I decided to share it, you know, with others. Too many of us are habituated on wasteful, unsustainable lifestyles. And I wanted to see if I could um, bond with others who believe this same thing or inspire others who don't see this same thing with these possibilities. Yeah, I mean, it It seems like um, I loved how your story really kind of pushed that because it seems like all the, the adults are like, they understand technically like what's going on. Like the climate is something we need to work on. And, you know, we live in this world that we need to take care of. And it's really only when the kids start changing in the way that you wrote that they're finally like impacted by it in a way that pushes them to do something. So it was so interesting seeing this story where people are finally pushed to to do that and to think about it and, and make some changes. It was really interesting. Thanks. And so that was one of the big focuses, you know, climate change and environmental degradation. And there's also this idea of this virus And while they ultimately are connected and outbreaks and emerging viruses can be brought on or exacerbated by climate change, I don't think I've seen stories that paired these two things like as explicit as as explicitly as your story has. So I'm curious what it was like, you know, creating the story and merging those two ideas of pandemics and um, climate change. I think you mentioned that this was not created. You didn't write this story after um, COVID. You had started before. Yes. Um, so just, yeah, uh, tell, tell me about that. I, I wrote the, the whole, I researched all of what I needed to know to, to start, even start writing this book in the early months of 2019. And in November of 2019, I wrote the entire first draft uh, for NaNoWriMo. And um, so I started on November 1st and by December the 5th, I think it was, I had 65,000 words or thereabouts. It was a complete first draft. Um, of course, it's fleshed out a bit now, but 
all of that was in November of 2019. And we didn't really know for sure that we were in the midst of a pandemic for several months. So before that happened, I sent it out to beta readers um, to get their feedback. And it came back and I was working on the changes. And I think that's when we started to really realize, oh my God, you know, there's a real life pandemic going on around us. And um, we, a lot of, almost everybody was in lockdown and I, I couldn't bring myself to even work on this story for several months because it was just too close to home. Um, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't shut up in my head. I'm really glad it didn't, but it, it wouldn't shut up in my head. It wouldn't stay quiet. It wouldn't go away. It kept, you know, nigging at me and nigging at me. And so, uh, I finally went back to it and made all the changes that I needed to make and got it ready. And I entered it into the Pitch Wars mentorship competition in 2020 and, and was awarded a spot in that. So, um, but the pandemic was essential to the theme, of course, bringing the eco fiction, uh, the eco fiction part of the story into the whole plot. So, um, that's the only way I could see to bring in these twists that needed to happen. Uh, I will say that living through a very real life pandemic at the time that I was bringing this story to fruition informed my writing. And I went back later before it came out and made changes to the procedures that the hospital went through and, you know, the masking and, and the worrying about it being airborne and all of that stuff. Um, so it did inform uh, the final product here. I mean, I, I, I think when I was originally emailing you, I just assumed this was written after COVID. There's so many, I mean, they go into the hospital and they immediately like, um, I forgot if they like wore masks to the hospital or were, no, I think they were given masks. It, yeah, it felt very familiar, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it, it was, um, because it was so realistic and the characters are so real in my head, you know, um, being on lockdown and knowing everybody else I knew was on lockdown, it was really hard to work on it for a little while. Yeah, that is, that is fair. So, I mean, you already kind of touched on this. My next question was going to be, you know, are there any specific cases of environmental harm that influenced your writing? I don't think there was any one thing. I think it was um, just that there are so many people around us that that are indifferent. They're like, yeah, it's a piece of trash on the ground, but they don't pick it up. Yeah, there's plastics in the ocean, but they're not really that many. Yes, there are. There really, really are. And um, when when fishes and other sea life begins to show plastics in their biome, in their bodies, they're starting to have plastic in their inside their physical bodies. That's a problem. And they can't filter it out. And I mean, it just goes on and on. And, and so many people are really indifferent to this. They it's I think we just feel like we have like we are apart from nature. And I wrote this story with the hope that I could um make people see that we're not we are a part of nature not apart from it yeah 
I mean, and that connection, like, I, I think it was, it was really there in the story. And the thing that it reminded me of, um, so in college, I had the pleasure of hearing Amitav Ghosh speak. Um, he's the author of this book, The Great Derangement. I don't know if you've read it. Um, mm -hmm. no, but yeah, he, but I might now. <laughs> it's very good. And, um, it's divided into different parts. And in, in one part, he's talking about stories and what stories do for the, our cultural landscape, what they can teach us and how they, you know, change how we imagine different things. And he, he describes climate change as a crisis of culture and thus of the imagination. Um, you know, all of the things that we do that impact climate change, it's a lot of cultural, cultural things. And he said there need to be more stories that engage with that issue. And in your story, again, like the, the various characters, they're really forced to confront climate change in a way they may not have had to do before. And I mean, there's some really creative actions that they take towards the end of the story and plans that they have in order to to move forward and make some changes. And I'm curious what you're hoping your readers take away from your story and how to bring what they've learned, what they've taken away into, into the reality of our world around us. I think the biggest problem is that climate change and environmental destruction is such a huge issue that people feel overwhelmed. They feel like I'm just one person. What can I do? What I want my readers to take away is that, yes, it is a huge issue. And yes, as individuals, we are kind of powerless, but we're not completely powerless. If every single one of us did as did what we could, took as our efforts, our daily efforts to the maximum that we can extend to make our lives more sustainable and more green and more environmentally friendly, I think it would make a huge difference. Things like, uh, like my planting my um, Virginia native garden or things like using products that don't have plastic containers or using things whose packaging is recyclable. Those kinds of things, you know, it seems like such a small thing, but it all adds up. And if you, I know you can't make all of the changes all at once, but if you make one change today and one change next week, and then a couple of changes the week after that, you know, in a year you've changed so much of your your impact on the on the global environmental issue. So I really want the readers to come away from Feiji remembering Kendra's experience and to seriously consider the impact that their everyday actions are having, whether short term or long, and realize that every little thing they are able to do to enhance their sustainability can and does make a difference. That's wonderful. Yes. I mean, there's so much that we can do. And your your characters take some really interesting creative approaches, but it is ultimately a lot of simple, simple kind of changes. Um, also, so I'm curious too, how much research went into your story? I mean, you mentioned, you know, you you did some research about the procedures and stuff. You know, I've never really done research for, for any of my stories. So I'm curious what that process was like. Well, I'm certainly no doctor <laughs> or medical scientist. So 
when I realized that this story was not going to let me alone and I was going to have to write it, um, I knew that I needed to find some resources for this information because I didn't want to just make it up and I wanted it to be contemporary so that it would be more realistic and more um, urgent as a reading experience. And so I went online and I went through my Twitter feed and I found any of my Twitter followers and anybody else that they could recommend who had a, a medical or a scientific or a neurological or a, or a virological uh, background. And I began to ask them questions and some of them never answered. And some of them were amazingly generous with their time. And I spent maybe six months researching just the medical and the virological and the neurological uh, details of this story. And when I had the story right and I had a scene that had something in it I wasn't quite sure was right, I would send the scene to this person and say, can you tell me what I got wrong? And they always did. It was wonderful. So it was really important for to me to ground Fagey, I, I call it Fagey, to, to ground Fagey in reality and in real medical science as much as possible because that makes it seem more urgent. That makes it seem like, wow, this could really happen, you know? And so I tried to do that as much as possible. I did take one or two uh, liberties with the medical stuff, but for the most part, everything in there is very real. Yeah. I mean, I can't confirm either way, but it, it felt real from, you know, my, my experience. Um, it felt just like our world. That so, was the goal. You, you did it. But what was, so what was your overall writing process like? And I know, I mean, you mentioned, you know, you're, um, you work in the legal field too. So you have a job other than writing and, you know, I'm, I'm not a full-time writer. I'm going to law school. So like, what was your writing process like? And especially like having a job that's not writing too, how do you, how do you make the time? What was, what was it like balancing that? <laughs> um, it was a juggling act. I would get up in the morning and write for 45 minutes to an hour. And then I would get ready and go to work. And then I would work all day. And then I'd come home and I would go straight to the computer and I would write until, you know, uh, either I made, especially in NaNoWriMo, uh, I had, gave myself a word goal every day. I write in Scrivener, so that allows you to break down, you know, how many words a day you have to write to make a certain goal. And I would write to that point at least. And if I was really on a roll, I would keep going. And the whole time that I was working, uh, and, and on the weekends too, um, the whole time that I was working on this manuscript, my husband carried the full load of the house <laughs> around me. You know, he he did the cooking, he did the cleaning, he did the laundry, he did everything, he did the shopping. He still does if I'm working on a story. So I was able, I was fortunate to have that support system. But there, there was, I, I, I disappeared from social media and, you know, my friends were like, where did you go? And well, I'm writing this book. I mean, I'm in Austin, Texas right now. I'm in the South Pacific right now. So um, I think they're all used to it by now, but it was, it was a crunch. And uh, there were, I think there probably were one or two days where I just was too brain fried and I had to watch a movie or I had to go for a walk or because you have to take a break. You have to get some, some distance from it too, in order to keep going. But it was, it was a crush. It, 
in the subsequent drafts, after I did my changes and everything, I would just write it every every opportunity that I could, same as before. And when the story was out with beta readers or when it was with Anna over in London or in, right outside of London during the Pitch Wars competition, um, and Anna was my mentor. Um, all of that, anytime that I didn't have my hands actively on the manuscript, I was catching up with everything else in my life. So it was kind of a, a balancing act and a juggling act. I mean, on that note, were there any like specific challenges you faced while writing? Was there anything, um, and was there anything that you found easier or even something perhaps that you found surprising about, you know, your ability to write or the writing process? The, the biggest challenge in writing this story above and beyond the research was the fact that it takes place in three different time zones. And the the timeline for the story overall is only 31 days long, except for that last chapter, which is a few days after that. So I had to be really, 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 really careful to make sure that the timelines all matched up and that I didn't put something out of sequence and that everything was tight. That was the hardest part. I, I would like to say I'll never do that again, but you never know. Um, probably the most surprising part was that it just flowed. I had an outline. I don't I don't free write anymore. I, I did that once. It was a mistake. So I outline and I have a starting point and a definite ending point. And then I just write from point A to point B. And um, that made it so much easier and it made it flow so much better. But I think the probably the the most surprising part for me was how attached I got to the characters. When they cried, I cried. And when they celebrated, I celebrated. And so, yeah, you get, they, they become real. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, we also love just like positivity about stories. So I wanted to ask you, like, what is your favorite part of your story? What are you, what are you proud about either in your story or your writing process? Just, yeah. I think um, Kendra was one of my favorites. She isn't a main character, but she is a central focal point for much of the story. And I loved the the little wisdoms that came out of her eight-year-old mouth. And when I would read it, I would be like, that came from me. <laughs> I was really kind of proud of that, you know? Um, and I really liked Nadine and her quirky food and baking-based analogies all through the story. Um I was really proud that Feji was accepted for mentorship when, in Pitch Wars. That was a really tough competition, and I felt really honored to be accepted. Um, probably the most, the thing I'm most proud of is that when I finished Feji and got it through Pitch Wars, I queried it with some agents, and because we were still kind of in the middle of a pandemic, nobody would even really talk to me and I was like ah oh, this story is important it has to be told now I don't want to wait five years you know for the pandemic to be old news so I published it myself and that is probably that that's hard and I'm really proud of myself that I did it and that it came out not just okay but a great book so I think anyway I mean I second that um <laughs> No, self-publishing too is just, we've, we've chatted with a few people about that. Um, I think we actually had an interview come out yesterday with someone who self-published 
and now like helps other people self-publish and it seems like it's a challenging um thing to do and to you know to promote yourself too it's yeah yeah that's probably the hardest part (laughs) (laughs) so two two more quick things um do you have any advice for aspiring authors uh first of all write 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 and then write and when you're done with that write some more because you become a better writer by writing write about anything write about everything write about you know take on um uh, writing prompt challenges and every chance you get write short write long anything you want to write about anything you can't write about if you think it's a challenge take it on teach yourself better yourself and always keep improving your skills but if you don't hear anything else I say hear this don't give up because that's the only sure uh, way to fail is to give up so don't do it I am 63 years old and I just published my first book last year it's never too late that is just so like hopeful to hear I would love to to one day publish my book so we'll see. You will. Yeah. <laughs> and last, uh, lastly, just, you know, please tell our listeners where they can find your book, how to find you on social media. Sure. Um, you can order in Theophage because it's self-published. A lot of brick and mortar bookstores don't carry it, but you can order it through them. Any bookstore that you want, you can go to Barnes and Noble, you can go to your local indie bookstore and they can order it for you. Um, if you don't want to do that, you can get it immediately online through Amazon. Uh, you can also get it through bookshop.org or bookshop.com. I'm not sure which one it is. And um, if you do go through Amazon and if you read on Kindle, you can read it for free on Kindle Unlimited and save a tree. And um, you can find me on social media, uh, Twitter. I use the the handle of at Dreama Jowrick. On Facebook, I'm at Nivayam Arts LLC. That's my publishing name. On Instagram, I'm at Dreama Jowrick. And uh, you can also email me at nivayamarts at gmail.com. Oh, and I have two websites. I forgot about that. My husband is whispering at me. I forgot. I have two websites. Uh, www.nivayamarts.com. That's mostly for readers and, you know, people who are coming to me after having read the book. And then I have www.dreamajalric.com, which is mostly aimed at writers. There's a whole series of articles on there, blog posts on there about my experiences with self-publishing and so on. Oh, and you can sign up for the newsletter as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Sign up for the newsletter and you get news about my next upcoming projects. You get some uh, environmental and eco uh, stories and um, you can see pictures of my garden and my cats. <laughs> Perfect. All of this information will, of course, be in the description of the podcast as well. I got my book from Barnes and Nobles. It's a really cool cover. So you won't, I mean, no one will be able to see it because this is a uh, just audio but it's a good book <laughs> highly recommend it Rima, thank, thank you so much for for sharing your book and talking with me i really appreciate it thank you for having me peter <laughs>